base. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. to film 89 i'm martin kessler hopefully i'm not a completely unfamiliar voice to you and uh joining me today is john arminio hi john hi martin um, i'm really excited to get into this topic i've been a big fan of this series me too this was uh, a pleasant surprise i guess you could say and we're going to be talking about star trek strange new worlds the new star trek series streaming series i guess i don't think you can watch this on regular tv right nope not at the moment at least what is still on regular TV? I don't even know. Uh, NCIS. NCIS. And Law and Order. Melvin and Law and Order. That's pretty much it. So we're going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But I think before getting into that, just to give people who are listening who maybe haven't had a chance to check out the show our general opinion on it. What, what was your feeling on this first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Um, You know, I was pretty excited going into it because i think the season of discovery with captain pike was a real highlight at least that that character really shown um so to get to see him in his own series was something i anticipated and going in um even if it's another prequel to a franchise that i love or a spinoff or whatever you want to call it i was pretty excited for it and yeah all in all i'm just really happy with the way it turned out um, what about you, Martin? Yeah, I was I was probably a little bit more trepidatious going into this season. I've been kind of cool on a lot of recent Star Trek. Yeah. And by recent, I mean, like, probably going back to the J.J. Abrams reboot or even before. Like, I, I can't really say I love Star Trek Enterprise. So I've been, you know, sitting back here and quietly enjoying the older shows and parts and bits and pieces of the newer things that have come up. But I haven't really loved a Star Trek series or movie really in, in a long time. <laughs> But this I loved. I, I totally loved this first season. So it was a big, pleasant surprise for me. And I felt like each episode almost seemed to get better and better as I was watching it. And it uh, really blew me away. So I think if anyone's listening who is in my 
position who is maybe a little bit skeptical of, of some of the newer Star Trek shows, I, I would say this is the one to give a shot to. Um, in a way, I feel like it's it's sort of too bad this didn't come out years ago. <laughs> But uh, I'm not sure you could have gotten to Star Trek Strange New Worlds without what I think was probably sort of a trial and error process with Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard and kind of figuring out, like, you know, what do we do with this? What do people like? What works? What doesn't work? That was kind of my feeling on on just how you get a season of a Star Trek show where basically I thought every episode was fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I thought the way that Spock was handled in Star Trek Discovery and a lot of the legacy characters in Discovery was it just felt very clumsy, very haphazard, you know, like, oh, Spock has a secret sister and she's going to be yes. the focus of the series. And it, it just felt, you know, very out of nowhere and very unbalanced. But by the time we get to Strange New Worlds, the legacy characters, the way the show handles them, and especially Ethan Peck as Spock, like it really was able to hit the ground running and really found its footing. Yeah, it, it feels like a TV show that was very, very confident about what it was. Yeah. And and what Star Trek is, I feel like in contrast to something like Star Trek Discovery, which is a show I've, I've enjoyed here and there, um, but it feels like a show that has struggled to find an identity feels like every season it's kind of reinvented itself to some degree and i feel like star trek strange new worlds just kind of came out of the gate knowing exactly what it is yeah and that's definitely um a lot of that's due to the strength of the captain um i love anson mount as captain pike he definitely feels like he could be the same character that we saw in the cage i'm pretty fascinated by that captain um because if you go back you know to that original pilot from Star Trek. He's this very brooding, insular character. He's riddled with survivor's guilt. He seems to be tired of being a captain and being on a starship. Um, and so it's a very different character than, than Captain Kirk. And so to see the sort of seeds of that in Anton Mount's portrayal as, as Captain Pike, it's very compelling because what could have been very cringeworthy and shoehorned in is these visions of his future as, you know, the, the Pike that we see in the motorized wheelchair in the menagerie. And while that does seem like kind of shoehorned in, we see it because of a time crystal from Space Monks. I'm completely fine with the time crystals. I feel yeah. like, it's just, you know, going back to stuff like uh, sure. City on the Edge of Forever, you know, it's yeah. very like, ah, what, it's a time crystal, whatever. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. It, it's so, just an ex- a pretext to give you the kind of story where you can explore some of these ideas. Yeah. It's it's all in the way the show handles it. And because, you know, Antimat is is such a, a capable actor and the writing is so good we get to see pike struggle with the mortality that he can actually see like he has to make the most of the time he has and you know with all the you know the stumbling blocks that these franchises have had in in creating prequel series and leading towards an inevitable end i think you know strange and worlds did so much to make that story compelling Yes, I, I completely agree. I think also one thing I really like about both the Captain Pike character and also Anson Mount's performance is uh, he's a team player. Yeah. I feel like Star Trek's always had uh, captain characters, but the captain isn't necessarily the main character. You know, um, I, I feel like that's a more recent phenomenon with shows like Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, where, you know, you can say, oh, Star Trek has a main character. Even going back to the original series, yeah, Kirk was basically the main character, but you had more Spock-centric episodes, you had more McCoy-centric episodes. It did change it up to some degree. And I feel like a strength of this show is that it feels like a real ensemble piece. And I like the way that Anson Mount interacts with his 
co-stars. I feel like, you know, I don't know if you could say he's a generous performer, but I feel like every scene he's in, you can see him putting a spotlight on his co-stars and letting them shine and, you know, doing little things that just seems to elevate any scene he's in with uh, another actor or actress. Yeah, there's definite moments where he tells a bad joke and then the laugh for the audience is in the reaction that other characters have of like cringing or rolling their eyes at his bad joke. And so for the captain to make himself look silly for the benefit of the scene, like I think Anton Mount pulls that kind of stuff off perfectly. Uh, let's get into some of the other characters, too, because I feel like it's an interesting mix of characters we've seen before and new characters and just how they interact is all very interesting to me. In addition to Captain Pike, who would you say are some of the other standout characters? Um, you know, I really loved Hammer. Yes, me too. Uh, yeah. Um, Bruce Horak as Hammer. Yes. That was a, a complete uh, surprise to me. Um, he's this very on the surface standoffish character but somebody who is very impressed by uhura but you know at first of course has to pretend he's not impressed but you know the way that they incorporate his blindness and his other senses as part of his character and the way he interacts with his job as an engineer i love that i I do celia rose gooding as uhura as this sometimes bright-eyed and optimistic uh, cadet, and then as somebody who doesn't really know if she belongs here, even if she excels, uh, she's still struggling to find her place. She almost feels like the audience surrogate in a way for for this first season where you're kind of introduced into this uh, ship with capable people who all kind of know their place and know their job, and she's still trying to figure it out. And one of my favorite things that they did about this first season is have Uhura be a cadet, basically, or cadet or ensign yeah she's a cadet so she's She's a cadet yeah yeah and have her basically trying out different positions different stations so she works in engineering for one episode with hammer and you get that interaction and another episode she's working in the science department and things to a comment and just all the different kind of places that they put her character in it felt like a good way to as an audience member be reintroduced into oh here's engineering here's science here's command and security it it felt like a a good way just to kind of revisit or you know refresh my my perspective on those um, stations on the starship and it was also a good way to flesh out uhura who was a character who was you know in every episode practically of the original series but we didn't get as much in-depth Character exploration, certainly, as like a Spock or, or a Kirk. So yeah. I thought it was just a good choice all around. Spock is a big pair of shoes to fill. I feel like I, I I don't hold this against Ethan Peck at all, because I feel like, especially by the end of the season, he completely won me over. And you can tell he was really putting his heart into this performance. But it's, it's really tough when you have a character that's been as fleshed out as Spock, that has as much history and... and you know, has has such a strong characterization that you know, like, oh, that's a Spock thing to do, that's not a Spock thing to do, that I felt myself scrutinizing both the character and also Ethan Peck's performance in a way that I thought was, like, a little bit unfair. Like, I I caught myself doing this where I'm like, oh, like, I wish I could just sort of take a step back and just enjoy the character for for who he is, especially earlier in the season. Like, I I found myself just kind of being like, ah, like, is that a Spock thing to do or not? And and I really wished I could have just kind of let that go. And I think that's just part of the, the situation of bringing back these legacy characters. But yeah. I also thought at the same time, they found so many fresh things to do with Spock. You know, for a character that I thought like, well, like, 
what other stories can you tell? You know, you kind of know his arc, you know, you know, it's similar to what you were saying about uh, Captain Pike, like you kind of know where he ends up with this sort of, uh, sort of Damocles hanging over. Like Spock, you know, eventually he's going to reconcile his uh, humanity and his Vulcanness, and you kind of know where that character ends up. So it's like, ah, what, what more can you really do with that? And they, they found new things to do with the character. Also, uh, another character actress uh, I really enjoyed in this was Tepring, uh, played by Gia Sandu, who is the Spock's fiance. Yes. Yeah. She, she was kind of a big surprise to me, too, because, like, I kind of knew the character from the original series, but I wouldn't have necessarily thought that they could have made her into such an inter- interesting character like they don't on this show. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we get, you know, the story of Spock and Tepring really just from Spock's point of view that she yes. sort of stabs him in the back, I guess, and she, she, initiates she a fight him. to the death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the most, like, ruthlessly logical way possible. But watching this show, I, I feel like by the end of the first season, you see the seeds planted of, like, yeah, I know exactly why she's going to dump him. <laughs> you know? yeah. he's, uh, it's not that he's, like, unfaithful, but you can tell he's, like, not as invested in this relationship as she is. Yeah, there's a a couple moments where we see her research human sexuality that I thought were really interesting and fun. And then she, <laughs> so in a in her a very Vulcan way, she communicates these things that she's learned about human sexuality to Spock, and it immediately makes him uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's a real fun way to show that yeah, she is putting more effort into the relationship than than he is. And they've created almost a, a love triangle, or at least a, a crush triangle between Tapering and Spock and Nurse Chapel, who in this show is played by Jess Bush. It's sort of funny. I saw people commenting when the show first began that like, oh, that like all the relationships are completely different in the original series. And, you know, this is Nurse Chapel that would never end up pining for Spock. And like, of course, by the end of the season, they kind of bring you to that place in a very organic way where it feels like, oh, okay, this kind of does connect back with the Nurse Chapel of the original series a little bit where she's uh, got this unrequited affection for Spock. And I think just how they kind of developed that uh, relationship was was very effective. It wasn't crass. It wasn't uh, sloppy. You know, it, it just feels very natural. And I, I think like one of the episodes that really, well, uh, two that really showcased it, uh, one is Spock Amok, mm-hmm. which I mean, out of 10 episodes, I feel like they're, they're all good, <laughs> but Spock Amok might be one of my favorites. Yeah, that one and the the Elysian Kingdom, I think, benefited the most on a rewatch because I think I'm always trepidatious when Star Trek starts to go into comedy because sometimes it can be (laughs) very bad. There's some good classic comedy episodes, I feel like. For sure, yeah. Maybe more on Deep Space Nine than uh, some of the other shows, but um, yeah, Yeah, there's a couple good comedy. Yes. I mean, uh, Trouble with Triples triples is is a good one. Uh, Next Gen has a couple, but there, there are also ones that don't quite work or hold up or they just mm. kind of seem goofy but i mean one thing i really love about star trek strange new worlds is it's not afraid of that goofy territory i feel like yeah. like star trek's almost been embarrassed by you know it's a certain type of episode where like oh the white rabbit from alice in wonderland shows up or <laughs> rumble stiltskin shows up. there's like a type of star trek episode that i feel like was a, a staple of the franchise through various series and then you know a couple of these don't have the best reputations and it disappeared but i, I don't want star trek to be this sort of self-serious thing i think it's okay to kind of poke fun at itself and have lighter episodes to kind of balance everything out yeah i mean i i totally agree and i think an episode like spock amok can give us windows into these characters so we're not burdened yes. by saving the galaxy we can concentrate on the character relationships and i i think that's especially true with 
uh, Dr. Mbanga in Elysian yeah, Kingdom, Elysian, you know, which it's, is, I feel like it's maybe the, the sleeper hit of the yeah, because it so for anybody who hasn't seen the episode, we're sort of transported into a storybook fantasy realm somehow, and it's it features all the cast members donning fantasy trope guises. You know, my, my first so watch, I was some of them play, yeah, of, yeah. Play, play like characters that are completely different than the ones they usually play. Yeah, and I mean, all I feel like 100. Uh, Christina Chung as uh, Lan, like you know, she's such a stone-faced, serious, intense character. To go from that to like, you know, I'll sing you a sonnet and taking the little dog around and talking to it was so funny. Yeah. Uh, Anton Mount, of course, playing this sort of cowardly character, and a, a couple of those performances are so funny and it's just fun to kind of see everyone playing on top of playing their characters you know yeah. and and to see uhura as an evil queen sort of in charge of everything and instead yes. of being intimidated by everything that was really great by the end of the episode it's able to hit you with this sort of raw emotional punch uh concerning dr Mbega's daughter that seems you know, so which is, good um, yeah it, it's you know and like you said it's an episode that benefits rewatch and it becomes more kind of apparent that it's you know it's sort of this fantastical way or this imaginative way of coping with loss is, is sort of the point of the episode and i thought the um the actress that got to play the adult version of the daughter was so good in that one scene yeah i'm like oh like i I don't know. I, I kind of hope that maybe season two, they find a way to bring her back somehow, because like that was such a you know powerful moment. I think the only thing I kind of wish is that maybe there was more of a gap between him saying goodbye than her coming back as an adult. I, I thought like maybe it could have come after everything goes back to normal. And you almost had this moment of like, uh, you know, was that all real or whatnot? And then she comes back and speaks to him one more time. But that's my only like little tiny nitpick in, in what I think is like one of the best episodes of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just a, a testament to, you know, the whole cast to, to be able to to set us up for that one scene. That's so key because if that scene fails and the really the entire episode sort of falls apart. So it, it, it like you said, it's a show that's confident in, in what it's doing. Absolutely. Um, we've touched on this a little bit, but one thing I really liked about Star Trek Strange New Worlds is the return to the uh, the return to the episodic form of storytelling, because I feel like, you know, in the age of prestige television, you go to a lot of these serialized shows and Star Trek kind of went in that direction with, you know, some of the more recent series. Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the fact that it's episodic, one thing I like is that you can go from having a lighthearted body swap comedy episode one week, a romantic comedy, to having a outright horror episode the next week or yeah. you know the, the way they kind of change it up and you get all these different genres it feels like there's more variety and you get stories that feel more tailored to the individual characters than having these big long arcs which don't always pay off in a totally satisfying way like on uh, some other shows i, yeah. I don't want to <laughs> be too negative but yeah you know there's you know for me the huge disadvantage of the serialized storytelling model is that i you know it, it's hard to tell if you like episode three until you've seen episode yeah. 12 you know and so exactly i i don't know how i feel about this these other star trek shows until i see how it, they wrapped up especially because tv there's usually like an a and a b or even a c plot in each episode and so if, if you have three ongoing stories over the course of an entire season it can be very unsatisfying week to week, whereas at least, you know, with Strange New Worlds, I feel like each episode gave me a meal. It gave me some character growth. Um, it gave me, you know, sort of a, a political or, or science fiction topic to chew on. I thought the serialized character development was balanced really well with the 
episodic plot structure. I completely agree. I feel like just as the series went on, I really got to know these characters. And some of them, you realize, don't have that much screen time overall compared to, um, you know, a show that has many more episodes in a season. This is only a 10 episode per season. Uh, And I still found myself, you know, really invested in and moved when you see a character sacrifice themselves or, you know, there are these moments towards the end of the season where you realize how much you've come to care about these characters. And I think it's not so much you know, people talk about like getting invested in characters and see it as as just purely like a time investment thing where, oh, we needed to spend more time with that character, more time with that character. But it's not really about the amount of time. It's about how, you know, a particular story or scene can get you invested in a character. So, you know, for instance, the Uhura Hammer relationship, you know, it's a small subplot in an episode where you have a bunch of things happening. But, you know, it got me really invested and there's a, a big payoff to that emotionally. So, you know, I think it, like you said, the serialized aspect of the character development it was handled very, very well. It's not super obvious when you're watching it, but there are serialized elements and story threads that kind of continue on throughout the season. Yeah, you know, one of the main story threads that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot is the genetic modification storyline, which ties into yes. Laan, who is a Nunyan Singh, um, yes. which when I, when we were first introduced to her in the first episode, I'm like, oh, God, is there going to be another I know, it felt con? Like, you know, one tie to the original series too many, but yeah, I really like, you know, they have that actually pretty brief scene where she kind of talks about, like, you know, getting judged for something that your ancestors did and, you know, trying yeah. to forge your own identity. And I thought like, oh, that was a really good payoff. You know, that kind of made it worth it for me. <laughs> when, you know, just at the very beginning, it felt like, oh, is this just fan service or, you know. Yeah. And, you know, we go to the planet of Elysians. Um, it, it's an abandoned colony. Uh, but the Elysians are people who genetic modification is part of their culture. So they can't be part of the Federation. Um, but then, you know, spoiler alert in that episode you find out that number one, Una, is an Illyrian, and she is genetically modified, has been keeping it a secret. And I think this is a good example of the show examining prejudice that Star Trek has, or at least Starfleet has, against a certain kind of way of life. And, you know, we've been seeing the reasons for the ban on genetically modified uh, people in Starfleet because of, you know, Khan and and whatnot, but it seems the extent to which they take that is very prejudicial. And so to sort of seed that in the beginning with Laan and to see her friendship with Una be tested at that revelation, I think was, you know, one of the best examples of the way they serialize character development. Absolutely. And it it does come back at the end of the season, teased as something that's going to play a large role in season two, but um I really like the scene where you have, first off, uh, Rebecca Romaine as number one speaking with Captain Pike and him sort of saying, like, you know, well, if it comes down to it, if they find out, I'll defend you because you're one of the good ones, basically. Yeah. And, you know, and then you have that scene where she goes back to her quarters and she's reflecting and she was sort of thinking, like, you know, what if I wasn't one of the best? You know, what what then? Um, and like to me, that felt like a very kind of deep space nine sort of, you know, not everything was wrapped up in this neat little bow. Actually, it leaves things open ended and makes you actually kind of question some of the values of the Federation. And uh, I, I thought that was all handled so well. If even someone like Captain Pike is uncomfortable by the presence of a genetically modified person, um, then what does that say about, you know, Starfleet and and Federation culture as a whole? And I I hope we get to examine that in the second season. Same. The La'an number one friendship was a lot of fun. I liked the episode where um, 
I guess that's also Spock and Mach, but when everyone's off the ship for shore leave, and they're the two kind of, you know, straight-laced characters who are going to stay on the ship. And when fun them, goes to die, yeah. That's <laughs> they're supposed to be like, the, you know, the two characters where fun goes to die. Uh, and then seeing them have fun with each other, I, I thought was like really enjoyable. And um, when they're trying out this Starship Bingo, Enterprise Bingo, doing all these little fun things, like showing that when you go through the teleporter and back, the flavor in your chewing gum goes back. Yeah. And things like, you know, shooting each other with the lowest setting on the phasers and stuff like that was just fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the show is able to find ways to twist characters just ever so slightly in ways you, you wouldn't expect. Yeah, it was it was great. And I think a character like Hammer, uh, we got to see him, you know, soften up a little bit and have fun and, you know, joke around. And he looks very intimidating. And so when when he cracks a smile, it, it can really do yeah. do wonders with, with just a, a facial expression. I really liked, I guess it's in uh, Elysian Kingdom when he's one of the only characters whose mind hasn't been warped to play one of these fantasy characters, but he's still dressed like a wizard. And instead of being like the curmudgeon who's kind of like, oh, this is this is all stupid. He actually gets into it and he's having fun in the role and, you know, his abracadabra and little things like that, you know, seeing him enjoy himself actually in this situation. And um, or I liked even when uh, he's using the, the little welder to cut them out of the prison and you know somebody comments like oh you know you know look away or you'll get blind oh what about you yeah. and he said like oh it's my superpower like just the yeah. way you kind of I, I like that the character has this sort of confidence and you know he's sort of the guy who seems like a little bit intimidating at first but just you know as he kind of open up and you get more of an idea of who he is and his idea of like things finding their purpose and my purpose is to fix what's broken and not even just in the literal sense of fixing the ship, but like trying to fix Uhura's sense of maybe not belonging. I thought like that was really great how that was all handled. You know, even if the, um, again, spoiler alert, uh, the episode where he dies, I think. Yes. Like I'm a huge horror fan, but I do think that's the weakest episode of the series. Can um, I say, I, I'm not super crazy about what they did with the Gorn. Uh, yeah. I mean, fun just to watch like you know I'll, i'm happy to watch an alien knockoff movie like that's that's fine with me but i, I feel like i don't know if this is like a kurtzman thing because i think i read an interview where he was talking about the gorn and how crazy he is about the gorn but i'm not hung up on continuity i don't care if most of this doesn't line up with continuity but it feels like the, the one thing you know about the gorn is that oh maybe in the the classic episode the arena that humans were actually the aggressors and that you know they look scary and they look like monsters but maybe they were just basically retaliating in defense you know it, it's almost like uh, the starship troopers movie where at the end it's like yeah. uh, you know maybe the humans are actually the bad guys in this scenario and then here they really kind of turn them into monsters like, like i think when the phrase like breeding sack came up i was like mm, th this is seems like something that would be on like star trek discovery you know <laughs> yeah yeah they're like yeah they're keeping us alive only to feed their infants that burst out of everybody else's bodies yeah although i really loved their spaceship designs i thought those were fantastic they looked yeah. so alien and they're kind of lopsided and they moved in these strange ways and the special effects on this show were so good i feel like oh for sure this has been sort of a big conversation lately about some of these Marvel TV shows, Disney shows having subpar digital effects, you know, digital effects houses getting rushed, uh, rushed, not giving artists enough time or money to really do things properly. And I feel like you do kind of notice that like, oh, like things have regressed a little bit in special effects because things are more rushed and it's not just a matter of technical development. It's about giving people time to be artists. And I feel like in contrast to some of other big streaming shows that I've seen lately, like Star Trek Strange New Worlds just looks fantastic. Like it, yeah. it's one of the only shows where I watch the, um, the opening credits every time and part of that is just because it looks so cool 
yeah, but, the, uh, the, the space yeah. battles are, are fantastic. Just the glory shots of the ship are fantastic. The planetscapes are fantastic. And, you know, in that episode with the Gorn, there's this alien who's who, who's just called Buckley. And it's just like an astonishingly good creature design. And yes. It it seems like it's a combination of, of CGI and animatronics and makeup, but I I don't know what parts are practical, what parts are CGI. It's just it's a beautiful, very expressive alien. Um, the interactions, the physical interactions between it and and the cast are seamless. So just you know, ten out of ten on on like the cinematography and the special effects and the makeup. I feel like they're also smart about when they use a special effect like they don't overdo it the uh, episode where they're being hunted by the gorn into that uh, brown dwarf memento mori like there's shots where i would expect a show with less self-control to like jam a special effect shot in there you know there's a scene where they only have one uh, torpedo left and they kind of position themselves in a way to like basically drop it on the other ship it's between them and the brown dwarf stars. So they're just going to let gravity pull it down. And they don't actually show the ship get blown up, you know, and it kind of actually reinforces that atmosphere of like, oh, this is like a submarine drama where you're yeah. claustrophobic. And it, it felt like, oh, it's, it's really smart about where they choose to put the special effects in that episode and not necessarily just rely on them to tell the story. Yeah, you know, and I think that's another example of the balance that Star Trek does best with um, that Stranger Worlds is also doing well is that, you know, Star Trek is a military drama, a show about science and a show about politics. So you kind of need all those ingredients. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes a show like Deep Space Nine forgot about the science and a show like Voyager <laughs> forgot about the politics. Um, but I think Stranger <laughs> Worlds sort of gets all that stuff. Like, well, I feel like the writing is really smart like overall like i think that's one of my big takeaways is that by and large you know aside from a few nitpicks i feel like you know not just uh smart in terms of like oh you know i know what a boltzmann brain is and this and that it, it's also like clever uh the children of the comet episode i think is a great example where they're being chased by this superior ship that's trying to protect this um sentient comet and like in the back of my head you know playing video games i had it like oh just put the enterprise between you know put it next to the comets that can't attack you and then they did that in the episode i was like oh my god they they got it right (laughs) you know it wasn't just this endless fire everything like in some of these movies the star trek movies i feel like oh they they did something smart there yeah and then they used physics to change the course of the comet and and they made a friend in this weird alien who was obsessed with their <laughs> comet god. It was great. It was really great. I did think the um, the bit with Spock about, like, sometimes things just go so badly you have to laugh. I thought they should have saved that for the Memento Mori episode because their things really go bad. Yeah. <laughs> it, it almost seemed like maybe a writer's room thing where, like, somebody came up with this scene, which was a good scene. And it's like, ah, we, we can't fit it into this other episode. Let's just stick it here or something like I don't really know. Mm. This is my speculation. But would you like to talk about Serene Squall? Yes. Standout yeah. episode that just hasn't really come up in our conversations yet. I, I this also I mean, again, I feel like you could pick any episode and I'd probably say like, oh, that's one of my favorite of the season. <laughs> but Serene Squall, I, I think, was just a really fun one, but also dealing with that social aspect in kind of an interesting way, an unexpected way, and also just acknowledging a piece of Star Trek canon that I feel like has been brushed under the rug for a long time. So I I feel like there's a lot going on in this episode, and it's just an enjoyable one, too, where you have space pirates and Pike trying to cook his way out of a bad situation. Yeah, Yeah, I do like the recurring motif of Pike 
cooking. That's really fun. And, you know, that that's something we definitely have seen in, in Star Trek before. But the way that he sort of wins over his crew with, like, his breakfasts and things, that's always uh, very his endearing. His breakfast really good. I would rather yeah. have Captain Pike cook for me than Neelix. Oh, for sure. I think uh, Jesse James Keitel in, in Serene Squall as Dr. Aspen slash Angel uh, is just, you know, uh, one of the standout guest stars. You know, they come love, on. Uh, Jesse James Keitel just going full ham at one yeah. point. Like, it feels like a character that would be right at home next to, like, Captain Maud or, uh, yeah. you know, even like, uh, you know, you think about, like, some of Shatner's acting in the original series. Like, it, it just felt like not afraid to go into that territory. And I, I love that they let Jesse James Keitel just kind of let it rip with that episode. It was so much fun. You know, Keitel is, is under the guise of being Dr. Aspen. There's this conversation between Aspen and Spock. Uh, it's this, like, debate about, you know... Like, Dr. Aspen uh, is this um, non, non-binary character. Yeah. Gender non-binary character. And it was really interesting to have this conversation with Spock where they're saying like you know hey maybe it's not about saying like oh, are you human are you vulcan maybe you're neither and i thought like to me that was just such a great example of using that old star trek way of creating a science fiction metaphor for something that's a very contemporary issue and i, I feel like it worked so well there compared to i don't know if if another show had tried to like beat you over the head with the same point you know I, I thought it was really elegant and it told you something about spock as a character and it told you something about just thinking about things by and large in society and i I thought like that that exchange was just really fantastic and it was great that you know that character you know had the opportunity to have that real genuine moment with spock and then later take over the enterprise and and be an evil space pirate (laughs) exactly you know the whole idea of like i I feel like one thing that they really nailed in star trek strange new worlds is the the vulcans aren't necessarily like emotionless i feel like often they're kind of characterized that way in in some of the other star trek shows and they just come across as being snobs or something but you know i i feel like for a lot of the writing with spock one reason why it worked and i think also with the praying it's like oh they they have emotions it's just very subtle you know yeah i i liked one um Captain Angel was talking about, like, you know, I, I've been using emotions to manipulate you this whole time. And, of course, like, it all kind of built up to this reveal that, like, hey, they're probably going to bring Cybox, Box brother, back in for season two, who is uh, the kind of villain, anti-hero. It's not really the villain of, of Final Frontier, but he's kind of... Yeah, yeah, the emotion-embracing <laughs> Vulcan from Star yes. Trek V, yeah, the philosophizing anti-hero, sure. Which is a character I've always really liked, but I feel yeah. like has been kind of ignored because that film doesn't have the best reputation among fans. I think it's kind yeah. of a, and I, I love it. I, yeah. I kind of get why why some people don't, but at the same time, it's like, if you think that's the worst Star Trek movie, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I did have the opportunity to talk about how much I like it on The Pink Smoke with Bill Tech. So yeah, if you want four guys talking about how much they love Final Frontier, you can find that episode. It's a really enjoyable episode. I, I liked yeah. it when you... Thank you very much. <laughs> but I, I like that. That's so cool. Like Star Trek Stranger Worlds, like it's going to be, this is the Star Trek show that would bring back Cyborg. Yeah. I was even, I was tweeting about this before they did the reveal, like the day before I'm like, you know who would work well on this show is Cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I feel like very on the same wavelength as this show. But you no, know, I think the types of stories that they chose to tell and, you know, not necessarily being afraid to embrace parts of Star Trek that mm-hmm. haven't had the best reputation with fans and say like, no, this is still Star Trek. And, you know, we're going to do an episode where everyone's dressed up like a fantasy character or we're going to, you know, 
do these types of things that uh, you know a less confident show might shy away from. Uh, it's it's just something I really enjoy about the show and. You know, I was sort of joking that was, you know, I was sort of saying this as a joke, but I kind of half meant it that if they ever make a movie for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it shouldn't be like Wrath of Khan with revenge and action and all this stuff. It should be like, oh, we're stuck on a cowboy planet. You know, <laughs> I think like that should be kind of the approach because Spectre of I don't know, pistol. like not, not every Star Trek thing has to be about like this is the end of all sentient life in the galaxy. And, you yeah. know, I, I feel like. That's why, so, like, some of the more recent Star Trek shows, because you have like this whole serialized story for the entire season, it has to be like the biggest thing ever. You got to save all of life in the universe, all reality, whatever. Uh, you kind of get burnt out on that stuff, and it makes you long for these smaller stories, which are more character-based and more invested yeah. in the actual politics, the science, the military strategy, whatever aspect of Star Trek that you really love. I feel like there's something for everyone in this show. And that's part of why I love Star Trek The Voyage Home so much. I know it's about saving the planet, but it's also about saving two whales. It's, yes. It's so fun. <laughs> exactly. Although I think, um, okay, well, I do like that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is focused on doing new things. And mm -hmm. I think I said, like, at the beginning of the season, when, you know, we were a couple episodes in, I'd be happy if you never saw a Romulan or a Klingon or any of that stuff. Just keep exploring new things, do new fun stuff. But when they did finally bring in Romulans, at the end of the season, I thought it was handled so well that it, it made me feel like, oh, okay, you can pull off this Saving the Federation type stories uh, as well. You know, I feel like better than some of the more grand, serialized, many, many episode long story arcs that are about similar stakes with this uh, Quality of Mercy season finale. Yeah, uh, it's just a really fantastic season finale. Um, you know, when I saw the episode title, I thought it might be a reference to Aaron of Mercy, yeah. this TOS episode, but I. I don't really see many connections because it's mostly a, a mirroring of Balance of Terror, sort of like a what it's if like, Pike was It's the Balance of Terror mixed with Yesterday's Enterprise, yeah, but yeah. putting its own spin on both of those, I think. Yes. And in terms of, of doing a big story, I think like this is better than any of the Star Trek movies. I feel like, you know, wow. it's, it's I'm sorry. Uh, not any of the Star Trek movies, any of the the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. Oh, okay, yes. I feel like I it's the best Star Trek movie since, like, Undiscovered Country. Oh, wow. So you better know, than any of the TNG? Yeah, the TNG movies aren't great. <laughs> don't, don't come at me, people. I really like two of them, and I'll leave it up to the listener to decide which two. Okay. <laughs> Is it weird that I think, like, Insurrection might be the best next-gen movie? Because it actually kind of feels like an episode of the tv show like a mediocre i agree <laughs> i mean no, I, like, I love picard shooting more with a tommy gun but i agree i think insurrection yeah. is the best dng movie <laughs> i was not expecting to end up on the same page here uh, what, what i'm trying to say with all this like very confusing talk is that i, I was blown away blown away by quality of mercy as being both an homage to the original series and the storytelling of Next Generation or kind of classic 90s Star Trek and what we grew up with that, you know, made us kind of invested in Star Trek and also doing something fresh with it. You know, it, it feels like simultaneously like a reaffirmation uh, re of what made Star Trek great to begin with and also saying like, hey, we can still do new stuff with it and move forward and not at the expense of the original series or classic Star Trek. And, you know, Balance of Terror has always been one of my favorite episodes, but uh, during this rewatch of Strange New Worlds to get ready for the podcast, I did rewatch Balance of Terror, and it made me like that episode more. Yes. 
just it, to it, see, it, you know, how Kirk's actions mirror, mirror Pike's, um, how there's a couple direct sort of political messages in the original Bouts of Terror about, you know, about the dangers of bigotry, like the connection between Kirk and the commander. Bridge, yeah. Whatever he says is a good line. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's such a good line. I mean, the, the whole basic episode, the, the concept is that if Pike had foreknowledge about his accident, then he could have prevented that. And it means he would have been in command of the Enterprise during the events of Balance of Terror and shows how how that would have gone wrong if he was in the captain's chair instead of Kirk. Like, it's a really kind of fascinating study in the contrast between their command styles. Like, that, that's one of the things I took away from this episode is just how I think like Pike and Kirk are both great characters and how different they are. Yeah. Okay. Like the writing for Kirk, I thought was some of the best in like a long, long time. I thought like they really nailed Kirk as a character in this episode. You know, Paul Wesley, I was a little bit skeptical because like, you know, he doesn't really look like William Shatner, but I, I almost feel like maybe the people making the show, their attitude was, hey, we're not trying to recast William Shatner. Let's look at what was on the page and basically like cast our own Captain Kirk based on, on how he was written almost, you know, that almost felt yeah. like the thinking in why they cast him. And there's one moment in that episode where you have uh Captain Pike and Captain Kirk face to face and you know they're trying to come up with a, a way out of this very tense situation that's going badly and Captain Pike saying like well you know the, it, the the closest ships are days away and Captain Kirk leans in and he says you know but the Romulans don't know that and I, I thought to myself like oh that's that's Captain Kirk like that's exactly who that character is you know he's the kind of consummate poker player, you know, who can bluff his way to victory even when he's dealt a bad hand. He's the guy who can kind of turn, you know, defeat into a fighting chance, like they say in Star Trek 3. You know, and how he comes up with a solution to try to save the Enterprise in this episode. I thought, like, they got the character right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That, that's exactly who that character is, in a way that some of the movies, i got to keep specifying the uh, the J.J. Abrams movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like they didn't really understand Captain Kirk as a character. Like, in a way, it's you know, I would say, like, probably, I mean, I don't necessarily think Paul Wesley's as charismatic as Chris Pine, but most people aren't as charismatic yeah. as Chris Pine. So <laughs> it's not, true. like, taking of an insult. I, I really liked him in the role, but I feel like Chris Pine, on some level, like, he didn't really have the material to work with to feel like he really was that character. Or, you know, like, it feels like, on some level, you're watching Chris Pine play William Shatner, play Captain Kirk. Yeah. Or at least the, like, like, the popular conception of Captain Kirk. Or, exactly. Like it's there's some kind of like copy of a copy thing going on with him. Where whereas I felt like I like this new Captain Kirk because yeah. he's I think like much closer to Captain Kirk of the original series in and how he's written as opposed to like like you said the popular conception of uh, Captain yeah. Kirk. Because you know in the original Balance of Terror. Kirk is really trying to avoid an intergalactic conflict. He's t yeah. taking advice from his officers. He's very thoughtful in his decision making. He's he's not this quick draw brash cowboy. He's he's in command. But it's also like it's a situation where actually getting into a fight can prevent a war. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, one thing that shows that Pike is a little bit more risk adverse. And, you know, that's I mean, I mentioned uh, yesterday's Enterprise. It's also a little bit like, um, oh, what's the episode of Next Generation where Picard, Q shows him what his life would have been like if he didn't take the, the risk that got him stabbed through the heart. And he's just like yeah. some random blue shirt on the bridge. You know, it felt a little bit like that also where, 
it just kind of shows that, you know, sometimes the path that we go down that we might feel like we regret, it's actually the best best path for us. Yeah, and I think that's also a really key moment or our key characteristic of both Picard and Kirk is that when Kirk was in the in the academy, he was described as a bookcase with legs. Yes. And then when Picard was in the academy, he got stabbed in the back in a bar by Nausicaan. So, you know, we have these Kirk became more capable of handling risk as he matured and Picard became a Shakespeare reading Earl Grey tea drinker as he as he matured. So I think we, we sort of had this misconception about where these two guys came from. Exactly. That's really funny when he laid out like that. I guess one of the members of the principal cast we haven't mentioned yet is Melissa Navia as uh, Ortegas, mm-hmm. who I, I feel like part of the reason why she hasn't come up, it's like she doesn't really have a... Um, spotlight episode but she's just like a constant voice throughout the throughout the whole show that i I think is like a lot of fun and uh i I, I like her character (laughs) yeah yeah she's 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 real great she has a this constant repartee with pike because you know she's the one in control of the engines and she's the great pilot of the ship who can take manual and navigate the enterprise around an asteroid field and she also gives relationship advice to nurse chapel in a couple of real fun instances uh, again, we're going back to Spock and Mug, but like just her interactions with uh, Nurse Chapel, I, I thought were fun. And it's always great to kind of see what the characters are doing when they're not doing their jobs. Yeah. You know, everyone's kind of hyper competent at their jobs for the most part. So like it's it's cool seeing, you know, Mbenga's going off uh, fly fishing or, yeah. you know, just seeing what the characters get up to kind of in their free time. I thought it was so funny when T'Pring is is in Spock's quarters. And he's got like this totally neat and tidy room. But the look she gives him, it's like, you know, the, the girl he's gone over and her boyfriend's a total slob kind of the look on her face. Like she moves these two glasses over. So and it's like, like a oh, work I'm in still, progress. I'm still rearranging it. It's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mean to bring the mood down, but uh, Melissa Navia, like there's this article posted just the other day uh, written by her. She lost her husband to, to cancer and so she wrote a pretty powerful essay uh just about the process of going from filming strange new world season one losing her husband and then going back to film season two so if anybody's interested i, I really it's a it's a pretty powerful read in, in my opinion she has a really fun presence on the show um but there's a couple of moments like i think it's it's the one where hammer dies where she's giving a eulogy and it's actually really you know a powerful moment and she can do that thing where she's being lighthearted, but also like you know, there's a weight to what she's doing. She's not just the comedic relief. And she's pretty, pretty active on Twitter. I'd say she's a good follow on Twitter yeah. for anyone listening. And I, I think the, the the timber of her intensity definitely yeah. changes in the season finale when it. And so the fact that this character she, one is taken so seriously. Bit, yeah. Yeah. She, she's the one who's a little bit more like skeptical of the Romulans and like yeah. Pike's trying to find the diplomatic solution. And I, I think she even says that at one point, like. It's the Romulans. Like, of course, they're the bad guys. Kind yeah. of. Also, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, my friend Rong Fu, who plays uh, Mitchell on the bridge. She shows up in a couple episodes and she has lines and she has uh, some fun in uh, the Elysian Kingdom where she's playing like the, the Red Guard and she's got a scar on her face and stuff like that. I've been friends in uh, back in university and she's just an actress who I know is very hardworking and very good so i was like super happy to see her on this show it's very cool you know i, I don't like the show necessarily because uh, french shows up but it, it doesn't hurt 
Yeah, for sure. And, and she, she's she's great. She gets some great moments. Like it's not many, but yeah, it's it's wonderful when when she shows up. I, I was really happy to see that. I, I promise I'm not being biased. I've I've got I've got a friend in Book of Boba Fett and I trashed it to pieces. <laughs> so don't, don't worry about me being uh, impartial. Uh, you know, just all around, like I, I think it's such a well cast show and yeah. each character really I think, especially by the end of the season, feels so lived in and you I think also because it's only ten episodes, it leaves you wanting more. Mm-hmm. There's there's a feeling of like I wish I could have seen more Hammer or like, oh, I'd like, you know, I wonder if we could get like another number one episode coming up or, you know, what what's Mbenga doing? And, you know, like at the beginning of the season, when they're kind of introducing some of these plot threads, I mean, I was kind of joking with you that like, oh, it's like the fourth tragic backstory in a row. Yeah. So I, I feel like by the end of the season, everything is so well handled that you end up completely invested in these characters. And, you know, the cast is a big part of that. The writing is a big part of that. And I, I think it's it's like the best it's the best Star Trek show since at least since Voyager. I feel like Voyager was never this consistent. Like, I think you'd be hard pressed to find like 10 good episodes of Voyager in a row. Yeah, I, I do like Voyager, but yeah, it was certainly not this consistent and certainly not this good at fleshing out backstories. Even though, like, Next Generation is, you know, like, my Trek, um, anytime we find out more information about that cast, it's it's another tragic backstory, and it feels forced, but with Strange New Worlds, I think they were able to find a way to tell those stories without it, it seeming like it was cramming down our throats. That's one thing that really impressed me about Elysian Kingdom is that they wrapped up Menga's tragic backstory like I thought when they introduced that I'm like oh here we go this is going to get dragged on for like the next three seasons yeah this is going to be his thing and no like you know it's um, you know basically like that's his showcase episode and they used it to wrap it up similar with Hammer like Hammer this doesn't have a tragic backstory but like there's no one specific Hammer episode and you end up coming away feeling like oh like I really care about that character and I'm invested in that character and you know even though he dies and it's a sad note like that's that's such a well done scene I think like his his goodbye you know it kind of in a way foreshadows or echoes I guess uh, the wrath of Khan where Spock sacrifices himself and it's done you know out of this place of like logic and scientific thinking that's where the compassion of these characters kinds of uh, kind of comes from and you know it, it feels like if you watch these shows in continuity it could be like uh, Spock seeing you know okay that's that's how it's done mm-hmm. when he gets the long and prosper and i liked his little you know it's just like andoria you know moment where yeah that was a really beautiful last it's, it's moment yeah totally harsh cold planet it's like the siberia but you know for him it feels like home yeah it also says a lot about what he endures every day on the enterprise like if if that's home for him he's always in a foreign environment yeah uh, one episode that i found really powerful that we haven't talked about is lift us where suffering cannot reach yes. You know, it's probably the most overtly political episode of of the season. You know, it's about this incredibly... It's a utopian... Like, y- a utopia. utopian planet. The Enterprise is sort of helping out facilitate the transfer of the first servant, which is this kid who's going to, you know, be the, the one to sacrifice himself for the be- betterment of the planet. And we get a glimpse of what that means. And it's legitimately horrific, that that visual. And 
it and the reaction plug them into a machine and it like yeah. drains them for years and you end up with like a mummified prune child at the end of it of like years of torture basically the, the argument is that like well you know other societies built their prosperity on the suffering of children and we're just like not shy about it it's, it's kind of the way that yeah. they, they you know this. how many children worked on you know this device that i'm using to take notes on or to to mine rare earth minerals out of africa so yep. i can do this podcast and it, so i thought it was very important for a show like exactly. star trek to point that out and even like in the you know federation is basically like it's written as a utopia you know you still had pike have that moment of doubt like you know are we any better ultimately like he sort of you know turns his back on her but um, you know you can see at least him questioning his own values and i feel like th- that's what you're meant to take away from that episode yeah. is you know questioning your own values yeah yeah not that this civilization is right for what they're doing but it, it forces yep. us to, to face around value yeah for sure i did like uhura singing to the comment that was <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, but, yeah uh, I, I love uhura singing to the comment because you know that was one of the key characteristics characteristics that we got out of nichelle nichols's performance of, of uhura so i really love that that became very integral her- to the character interacting with the science department and showing that like you know music is is scientific and yeah and I, I liked also like her little exchange with Spock, like again, going back to the original series, I was thinking like we lost Michelle Nichols uh, recently. And that was one of the first scenes in the original series that like came to mind was, um, you know, when Spock's playing his instrument and she sings and they, they have that uh, rapport. And, you know, I thought like Children of the Comet, there was this nice little nod to that with, uh, you know, basically the acknowledgement like, yeah, Vulcans have music and the mathematics are beautiful. Like, uh, you know, there's a way of appreciating music, even if you're this like very logic driven society and yeah. seeing their kind of connection there. I don't, it's hard to pick out favorite episodes because I feel like each one offered something a little bit different. Like you said, each one, it's sort of its own meal and they all have their own flavors. So it's kind of hard to say like one is is necessarily better than the other. You know, there's going to be days where I'm going to watch. Uh, I've already, I think, watched all these episodes multiple times mm-hmm. just out of my pure enjoyment, not even preparing for the podcast. But, you know, I'm sure there's going to be days where I'm going to want to watch Momentum Mori if I want some excitement or Spock and Mock if I want to laugh at the, the the absurdity of the body swap being with like the two most similar characters you can get. Yeah. Or, you know, um, if I want something like, you know, grandiose quality of mercy or like, you know, I feel as if there's just something in every episode of about I think like actually the weakest episode is the pilot. And it's not because the pilot's bad. It's just because like you haven't gotten to know all the characters yet. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, and, you know, it, it does wrap up pretty conveniently with Pike giving a speech that convinces the whole planet that, yeah, the, <laughs> that they need little, to make peace. It's almost like a trailer for the rest of the show, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's there to kind of just set everything up and like, okay, now that the, the table's set, now we're going to serve you your meals to continue that. Yeah. So I, I think we pretty much covered it all. Is is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap things um, up? You know, I just love when Star Trek can prove me wrong. I, I, w- I was still skeptical about, you know, Ethan Peck as, as Spock, uh, just because, you know, how intrinsic Leonard Nimoy is in the role of Spock. He wrote two books about his relationship with Spock and just my own association with, association with that character. But, you know, Ethan Peck can really spat off those strings and numbers with with the best of them. And I, what, One tiny missed opportunity, I thought, mm-hmm. is 
um, it, like, again, I, it was hard for me to shut off this part of my brain, but like there's a moment where they're talking about Uhura, how many other cadets she beat out to get on the Enterprise. And Pike's like must have been, you know, a thousand or something like that. And Spock just goes several thousand. And I thought, oh, the Spock thing would have been to be like 7,352, you know, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, like that's just one of those tiny little missed opportunities. But I think, you know, by Spock and Mock and Serene Squall, that was sort of the tipping point for me where I'm like, OK, I, I accept. Yeah. Impact is Spock, and I'm, I'm enjoying. And you know, if you had asked me a year ago, hey, Strange New Worlds is go- is gonna revisit Balance of Terror, is that a good idea or a bad idea? I would be like, that is a terrible idea. I, I can't believe they pulled it off. I thought like it, it's like playing with something very fragile. You know, if you if you mess it up, if you mess up like one of the most beloved Star Trek episodes of all time, I feel like yeah. you know the, the wrath of the fans would have been pretty intense. Um, They're playing hacky sack with a Fabergé egg, and they pulled it off. <laughs> exactly, that's a good way of putting it. Is there anything you'd like to see in season two? Do you have any hopes or? I, I really like the cliffhanger as character beats yes. uh, so in, instead of a plot point you know to get us into the next season it's okay how is this going to affect pike and una's relationship and pike's relationship with starfleet and starfleet's relationship with genetically modified sentient beings and i, I, I think that's kind of turns into like a big you know measure of a man type trial episode yeah, yeah. you know it, it seems like that's the direction it's heading in yeah so, I'm, I'm i'm hopeful for that very much but i think if if we go strictly by continuity we, continuity we know that in deep space nine there's still this big prejudice against genetically modified humans but i'm hoping we can sort of maybe fudge that a little bit or some catharsis with number one because i really love rebecca romaine as number one it's funny that we've got two characters in this show who were originally played by major barrett uh, <laughs> who, who like for you know a long time i think it was like sort of the the heart of star trek or you know maybe leonard nimoy was the soul and major barrett was the the voice or something like this but i i really like rebecca romaine's performance i kind of wish we got like a little bit more of her interactions with Captain Pike. But again, like yeah. it, it's one of those things where I'm glad they leave you wanting more instead of feeling like you had too much. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I even like a um, little homage to the pilot episode of Star Trek, her nail polish. She always has like gold nail polish or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just such a nice detail that like she's, uh, you know, she's in command and she's in charge, but she still, you know, looks looks snappy. Yeah, for, for a show... What- that takes place in the military everybody has a very distinct brand of personal style and I, I appreciate that that's one thing that's always kind of come up with star trek is like hey isn't this a military organization but yeah. no no we're, we're all about diversity and like it's it's trying to balance those things but yeah um, i i like how they've done it on this show the cyborg stuff i'm i'm looking forward to whatever oh, they're sure. coming up with uh, you know return of cyborg and captain angel I, I think like whatever that is that's going to be fun you know i i wouldn't mind seeing them do more comedy episodes more horror episodes just keep kind of trying out different things i i would love to see them do something that feels like a callback to uh, the kinds of original series episodes where you know it's a cowboy planet or it's a gangster planet or yeah. you know like other star trek shows have kind of done their version of that you have uh, voyager doing world war ii with the holodeck stuff and i i like the idea of star trek having an episode where you know it came out of them using reusing sets and costumes from other shows but uh you know if we get to see strange new worlds kind of have their take on that type of episode where like oh look this planet is all you know exactly like earth at this 
period of time. <laughs> I think like yeah, that's. I, I think we could have a lot of like I'm just imagining the possibilities of just Anson Mount in an Art Deco suit or Ortega's a, as a cowboy, like with the six exactly. gun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like you know the potential is definitely there for just something you know a little bit like Elysian Kingdom or like mm-hmm. you know get, get them in costumes, change it up, do something fun there. Maybe have like another Mbenga episode where somehow his daughter comes back as a galactic super being or something i'm not yeah. sure how but uh, you know it's science fiction you can do whatever you want yeah definitely uh, I'm, I'm sort of curious like if they're going to keep trying to introduce familiar characters like um, now that hammer's gone i'm wondering if they're going to bring in a, a young scotty for uh, season two to be the yeah, we, we heard his voice yeah um, that seems like a tease um yeah. I, I would be kind of happy if, if they didn't necessarily like i i don't know if how i would feel is if it's like an enterprise with uh, young scotty and young sulu and young you know everybody but kurt <laughs> basically I, I, like maybe it makes sense but like i I'm kind of more interested in seeing new characters and yeah, the, if it's going to go there, maybe not, don't necessarily go there right away, but yeah, I mean, I, the, I feel like the, the show, like I, I have a lot of confidence in this show after this. Yeah, me too. Seasons. Like, especially for a show with the word new in the title, yeah. I would prefer more new characters than legacy characters. Exactly. You know, I, again, like I'd be happy if we don't see it cling on like ever in this show <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. or or if we do like at least they have like a really good story to tell with that that just feels fresh and new yeah i i think discovery unfortunately burned a lot of bridges with the way they did the, the, the klingons they kind of tried to reel it back in for season two and it I, it felt like it, it kind of made it all a big mess but yeah yeah one of my funniest uh, replies i ever got on twitter it's uh, from my friend alex before he got into star trek when discovery came out he saw the picture of the klingon he's like wait that's the klingon he's like i don't even watch star trek and i'm mad <laughs> so i feel like that was kind of the response from a lot of people which mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm fine with them changing up the visual look of some of these uh aliens and things um like i'm not that hung up on like oh no it's going to look the exact same way it did 30 years ago but you know i think like when you're in a situation where it feels like the aliens are written completely differently and act completely differently than what we've seen and you've got makeup where the actors can't really act through it you know it, it yeah. impedes the performance like for me star trek at the end of the day like on some level it's it's like bbc theater where they have like weird foreheads you know <laughs> so yeah i feel like it's kind of a conceit that like yeah the aliens are basically just people with pointy ears or forehead ridges or wrinkled noses or whatever but like it's just to tell the story and you know whatever you can do to let the actor act so th- that was my my quibble with that more so than like hey the design is different now but just thought i'd <laughs> get that out there yeah, yeah I, I completely agree and i think that's part of why the finale works so well is because we got such great performances from yeah. the romulans the, the, the guy that got to play the Romulan commander, I thought was really fantastic. I saw somebody yeah. say as a joke, they should have gotten the actor who played uh, Sarek on Discovery back to play <laughs> the Romulan commander. But I, I feel like that would have been a little bit too, um, too, maybe meta. too, too much of a wink. Or, yeah. Know, uh, but I, I really like the actor that they found to play the Romulan commander, McFadzan. Uh, and... I don't know. He got to redo the, you know, in a different reality, I could have called you friend and stuff like that. You know, it was just kind of fun seeing a new iteration of that character. And, you know, he has one of my favorite lines in the episode, which is, you know, when his subordinates kind of questioning him and saying like, hey, you know, we can win a war with the Federation. And he's saying, well, you know, by definition, an endless war can never be won. You know, and I felt like that was a very kind of politically, I mean, it's it's an evergreen sentiment, but, you know, it's it's also very timely to today where we have these like forever wars. (laughs) Yeah. 
with no definition and with an enemy that we never see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think like little things like that, like you said, it actually improves balance of terror where you go back and watch that. And I feel like it actually enriches the experience of that episode. So it's uh, yeah. Fantastic. So uh, if it hasn't been completely obvious, this totally gets my endorsement, my glowing review, my affection, what have you. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I feel like that's the first season of Star Trek Stranger Worlds. Yeah, it's so invigorating, you know, for someone yeah. like me who's been a, a Star Trek fan for so long to have something like this re-up my, my love for the franchise. And, you know, nothing's ever going to change my love for, you know, the original series of Next Generation or, or those, you know, original but series like movies. But it's, I'm, I'm happy to put right alongside some of my yeah, favorite yeah, classic definitely. episodes and movies and Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Like, I feel like this show at its best definitely just stands shoulder to shoulder with that. Yeah. and. Like, it's not just trying to recreate the past. It's trying to bring Star Wars, uh, Star Wars, Star Trek into, uh, you know, into a new decade and make it fresh and deal with new issues and new ideas and tell new stories. And I feel like that's one of the best things about it, too. It it feels like it's a good balance of knowing what was good about the past and what worked about classic Star Trek, but not feeling so beholden to it that it can't be modern and fresh. Yeah, it's modern and makes me like the original series more. So, yeah. It's strange. It's new. Get on it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, if uh, folks want to find you online, where can they check? Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Quasar Sniffer. Uh, Just recently, I was on the Shoot the Piano Player podcast where Spencer and Scott Thurow and I talked about Pasolini's uh, The Gospel According to St. Matthew. And that was a great conversation. I love that film. I uh, had a Russian and Soviet art history class last year, and I wrote my essay, which was about like realism in Russian religious art and connected it to that movie. So that was my oh, excuse wow. to just get Pasolini into the course I was taking. Um, Good for you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm bad for that where it's like well like i know about movies i'm gonna find an excuse to talk about movies if, if folks want to follow me I'm over on twitter at movie kessler and of course uh be sure to check out the website film 89.co.uk um, i think is the address yes. i know you know we're not your usual host but i hope you enjoyed hearing us i guess the most recent episode i was on was the prey episode talking about the latest predator entry the prequel film yeah, it was a fantastic uh, discussion i really enjoyed that one. Oh, thank you yeah folks should go over and check out the website if you're listening to this and uh i'll be around maybe you'll hear me again before too long who knows uh stay safe stay happy and most importantly live long and prosper <laughs>